Business Education of ESOP. Hi, and I'm Ayelet. And welcome to episode five, where we get to talk to Ashley, my sister from another mister. I'm so excited for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to kind of go off format, which is really unique for me. I can't wait to hear how it turns out. Ashley is a speech language pathologist from Colorado, and she decided to share her experiences in a way that kind of spoke to my soul, which is why she's a sister from another mister for me. That's why I titled her that way. She kind of gave me a vibe that I needed to experience and what I wanted to understand about the speech language pathology arena from someone that actually has a deficit with communicating. Could you imagine, Nayela? It's so interesting. You've got to tell them how you did all of this. Because I was blown away by you a little. (laughs) During our interview, she was on a CPAP machine, which I thought was like the quintessential speech language pathology experience. Like what is your augmentative device and how can I help you communicate with us? (laughs) I thought that was dope that, you know, I got the opportunity to interview somebody with a communication deficit that's in this career equal to the amount of years that I've been. She has been in the game since 2009. And um, that was really significant for me. And what was awesome about her was that she also had this communication deficit. So I was like, this is going to be a bomb, bomb, total collective. So tell them a little bit about how you conducted this interview, just so they can kind of get an idea. Well, Ultimately, there is something so phenomenal about today's time and place when it comes to how we can accommodate for people. The internet is great. And what I decided to do was Zoom call her. I don't know. I think we're all familiar with Zoom after this year. (laughs) I have used Zoom a little bit. But she was actually the initial motivation for me to use Zoom for this podcast, if I'm speaking frankly, because most of our interviews had been like emails or phone calls. We hadn't used Zoom before. Um, It wasn't really the agenda, but I decided when Ashley said, like, I need to type more, I said, that's cool. We are going to make that happen for you. We're going to figure out the style. And I said, well, I know that Zoom offers a chat box section. So I said, I'm going to do that. Ultimately, it became one of the dopest interviews that I've had today um, in that respect of being unique. Um, And I felt like it was definitely meant to be for me to talk to Ashley because when I tell you sister from another mister this girl is like me just within the lines like I color outside the lines she colors inside of me. <laughs> so I, well, did... I can't wait to hear Ashley's story yes so I did start with um like why she went into this career 
And I kind of started it, but not with the like real true perspective of asking that question. It was more like a casual, overt way. So when I was sitting down with her and talking to her, she kind of explained that her why for coming into this career had to do with a family member that had stuttering as a deficit. And she she explained that it really hurt her how speech-language pathologists moved within the experience of, of stuttering. Like, stuttering is something very unique. It's very patient-specific, and it requires a level of individuality that is not rote. It's not like you can just go in and say, you, sir, need to adjust to what we're teaching. It was more like, you, sir, have a stuttering problem. How can I help you get to the point that you want to get to as a communicator? And I think that that's what Ashley's motivation was based on how she spoke about this career and why she chose it. Um, I think that's a really big lesson for a lot of us out there is really starting to listen to our patients and what they want, um, not so much what we want or what we expect. Um, You know, it kind of seems to be a lot of the like topics that I see coming up with a lot of different um, people that we may treat, Uh, you know, people who are neurodiverse, people who stutter, um, really kind of listening to what they want rather than what, you know, we think is best. And you know what? That is Ashley's whole mood, girl, whole mood (laughs) saying to us, y'all, Can we listen to our patients? Can we humble ourselves down with the idea that our science is supposed to guide patient care? And that's not okay. Let's say that the patient guides patient care. How about that? Like, how about we look at it that way? Which is where I said, girl, you my sister, because that's how I look at patient care. I want my patient to tell me what they need. And that's definitely looking at it with the adult point of view, because I deal with the geriatric population or the adult population. I don't deal with pediatrics in my career. So for her to say that, it really made it feel super home-like. I do know that children can make decisions for themselves too, because children are amazing. They're so honest and sincere. And if you say, well, these are the things you're lacking to make it in society, they will acknowledge that and say, okay, well, I'm willing to learn this thing. And they deserve that opportunity. And any person with a deficit, autistic, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, we all have to spend our time saying, what skills do you want to learn so that you can be more comfortable in the world we're in? Because the world we're in is really, really in a box. You know what I'm saying, Ayala? You know? Yes, yes, it definitely is. And that's the frustration of all of it. So when I continue to talk to her and spend some time with her, Ashley, my sister from another mister, we kind of got into um, 
what is it for her in the space of being a faculty member? Because four years in, she became a faculty member for being a speech language pathologist. Wow. That's really early, right? Like a master's degree faculty yeah. member. She wanted to make sure that she could teach what's the most important thing. And that was really significant. When I asked her why she felt like teaching was her arena, she felt like, you know what? My brother experienced something that was a problem. She felt like speech language pathologists didn't know how to actually help him. And in fact, for a lot of our career, they traumatized stuttered patients stuttering patients, excuse me. They traumatized stuttering patients. And she was just like, I can't be down for that. I can't accept that. I can't receive that. Her whole experience was stating like stuttering patients deserve a different interventional approach. And and I think we talked about this a little bit and I can't remember if it was on the episode that we had to re-record or if it was on the re-recording. Um, but, you know, I went and saw uh, that documentary, A Beautiful Stutter, when we went, when, when I was at the ASHA convention in 2019, and there was a Q&A with some of the kids that were in the movie who are, you know, young adults now. Um, and, you know, we, they were, you know, very kind to sit down with us and, and the audience was asking questions and they were answering it. And, you know, a couple of, of them did say that they were traumatized by their speech therapy and that it really harmed them. And, you know, it's really important for us to listen to listen to things like that. You know, one of them said that she would get so she would get so much anxiety around stuttering because she didn't want to let down her speech therapist. She didn't want her speech therapist to be disappointed in her. Mm -hmm. And she felt that anytime she stuttered, she was disappointing her speech therapist. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like stress and anxiety and trauma around that too. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things that I took away from that is that one of them said um, in response to a question about how we should approach stuttering you know, one of, one of the, um, a young lady said, you need like ask the person what they want for their stutter. Mm -hmm. So it's not really about what we think that they need, but really about getting to the bottom of, you know, how can we help you get what you want out of this? And that's where I come from as a speech language pathologist in general. I find myself to be a wonderful waitress with all of the amazing things on the menu. But ultimately, you get to decide what you receive from me. That idea is really humbling. It's really... Um, it kind of puts you in a position where you're at the mercy of your client, of your patient, of your student at any age. You have to stop being the expert in the room. You kind of have to be the provider and the provider doesn't demand. The provider kind of allows it, it, the private, the provider gives the education and say, well, this is what I allow 
based on everything that's possible for your recovery, because this is all I know. That's what a provider is. I'm limited in what I know. I'm only able to offer you what I know, but I'm willing to provide all that I know for you to decide to take ownership of it and uh, take it on, you know? And what I loved about Ashley was that she recognized that. She recognizes that and teaches that to the next generation of SLP in her in her t- tutelage. She decides that this is what you want. How can you do your best job in it? Her first day with her students is exploring the why. Why did you come into the profession? Why did you decide this is what you wanted to do? Why is this your investment? Because speech-language pathology is an investment. It requires thousands and thousands of hours. And dollars. (laughs) And dollars and effort. And you have to have a really clear why to make it worthwhile for you. And she makes those therapists decide that in her class on day one. And I think that that's excellent. I think that that's super excellent because we do need to make that decision. Why did I become an SLP? Some of us question that every day, I think. (laughs) Did you? Are you serious? Oh my goodness. I mean, isn't that what this whole podcast is about? No, I don't think it questions why I did it. I think I'm a service-based person. I want to serve. Don't Well, I I just mean when we're, you know, in our not so great moments and we're just like, why did I do this to myself? I think that more so has to do with the system that attacks us. Oh, of course it hasn't it doesn't have to do with, you know, it's not really about the clinical. It's about the all the bureaucracy that's around it. Correct. So I don't think our why is ever disturbed. It's just the conditions in which our why have to exist. How strong are we to overcome the circumstances to make sure that our why stays center focus? You want to change people's lives. You want to make a difference in the world. You want to help people. I do not think that that can be disturbed if you understand the fact that you're in an environment that isn't built for that, it can disturb those that don't understand the environment. I mean, I think that the burnout is real. The burnout factor among us, you know, no matter how much good you want to do, no matter how much you want to help people, you, you have to take care of your, your own health and well-being too, and your own mental well-being. Um, you know, when we're navigating these issues too, you really need to, you know, think about how certain situations affect you also, no matter how much good you want to do for your patients. You're not any help to anyone if you're not helping yourself first. That is a hundred percent an accurate statement. I think in an, in an arena that is nurturing, that is giving, you do need to take care of yourself, which my girl Ashley is all about. I mean, she has written intense and and significant letters to Asha 
because she's like, this is not the right way for us to do our job, guys. Like she, she has not played around at all while she wears a CPAP machine. Like she's just like, you know what? Doesn't even, doesn't even matter. Pursuing a PhD, it doesn't even matter. Wow. You know, teaching the next generation of, of educators, doesn't even matter. Being a mother to beautiful children, doesn't even matter. Being a wife for a wonderful husband, doesn't even matter. We spend our time nurturing to such high degrees. My goodness, Ashley is all about progress. And this girl, I'm not even gonna lie, sir, she is part of the National Black Student Association for Speech Language Pathologist. Hello. <laughs> what? Wow, she's got a lot on her plate with everything that she's going through. Absolutely. She's an advocate through and through. I mean, my name with in the the Instagram arena, which is the advocate SLP, I feel like this woman represents that fully. Like I'm advocating for you and you and you and you. And so much so I'm going to change the next generation of SLPs. I'm not going to quit. Meanwhile, let me sidestep so that I can take in some breaths from the CPAP machine. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is the significance of the strength of the woman who fights for change. The same as you, the same as me. You know, I know that you've worked a hard day. I know that I'm fully exhausted in the journey that I'm in. But we sit there and we spend our time making sure that we share our experiences because ultimately those experiences are going to change and move and shift this profession to something better, right? So we're hoping to do that. We're hoping. And I just want to backtrack a second. I didn't want to interrupt you while you were talking about Ashley, but, um, you know, back to what we were talking about with, you know, you're no good to anyone if you don't take care of yourself first. How many times as a clinician have you sat down with a family member of, you know, a patient that has had a stroke uh, a family member who has now become a caregiver to their patient, a parent of a child and told them that they need to take care of themselves and not get into that caregiver burnout. Like we give that advice to others and yet sometimes don't take it ourselves. Did you say sometimes like it's not all the time? <laughs> I was, listen, I was trying to be uh Polite, I don't know. What's the term I'm thinking of? Politically correct. Politically correct. Um, but yeah, I mean, we give out that advice. I sit in meetings with parents and I tell them that they're doing a great job, that, you know, they need to take some time for themselves, that they need to not blame themselves, that they need, you know, you sat down with a caregiver and told them, you know, make sure you're taking time for yourself. Make sure that you're eating and taking a shower and doing the things that you need to do. And then like when it comes to us, sometimes we're in a job that's too stressful. We have too much paperwork. We have um, 
productivity standards that are too high and we're stressed out and we're upset and we're anxious all day and we're not taking that time to make sure that we're okay so that we can be okay for our patients too. Well, and our families and our personal life. I know that recently you had a jarring experience on social media in one of the groups that you follow. It's the speech language. What was the, what's the group? The speech, I think it was speech pathologists at large. Yes. Okay. So that group, you had like a jarring moment where an SLP was trying to say, suck it up, buttercup. And you're like, no, no, because we don't have to, you know, just because you love the field, just because you love your patients, just because you have passion for it, doesn't mean you just sit back and accept all these things that are not okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to feel like you're less than or you're not worthy or you're not a good enough, perfect enough, wonderful enough, caring enough SLP because you don't think that these things are okay or because you're not willing to go along with whatever bullshit your job throws at you because you feel like you have to be that perfect SLP. No, you can still be passionate about this field. You can still be passionate about what you do. You can still be passionate about your patients and get burnt out at the same time. I mean, it's inevitable that you'll get burnt out, to be perfectly honest, because the society is not conducive. It's not conducive with making sure that we're well taken care of as a thoughtful, nurturing, considerate profession. And you can still be thoughtful, nurture, nurturing, caring, considerate, professional who is passionate about your job and still wants to get paid doing it. And it's not really about the pay. And I think a lot of us understand that because we know that we didn't go into this profession for the pay. It's literally about the idea that I'm compensated for the energy that I put into it. And that's where the pay becomes a problem because the amount of energy that a master's degree individual puts into a career is significant and worthy and used to be of value. It's not anymore. And it isn't in this arena. And when I talk to Ashley, she she guides and educates individuals in the progression of things. She really does put into perspective, like, these are the deficits this is your role. But what I understand about academia, it doesn't allow us to say, and your role, if you want to progress it and make it bigger and make it more significant, is going to come at a cost of you without a financial return. So if you recognize that, how else are you going to get that financial return you're looking for? Some SLPs deviate from that arena, and I look forward to the next interviews that I have that are shared on this podcast that kind of match and reach those SLPs that have decided it's just not this career that's giving me the capacity. It's actually something bigger And one SLP stepped outside of this career to do it, and one SLP dug in deeper. Um, The aspects of making things grow from the SLP experience is 
phenomenal because this profession is a seed. It's a seed to plant into the earth. And how your tree grows is based on the decisions you make in it. You can be abundant and make an entire orchard of something amazing. Or you can be singular and be the bomb-ass oldest tree on the street that everybody stops to admire. Or you could be just a tiny little thing that's like, I'm just coming in for myself. Whatever the aspects of this career gives you, ultimately it's your decision. And the outcome of this career is your decision. My decisions in this career is ultimately to branch out from clinical practice for a multitude of reasons. But some of the biggest have to do with the fact that my patient-centered care clinical practice doesn't fit in the environment that I find my most joy, which is the acute hospital. I have to fit in politically, and I don't do that well, and I know that. And that's not meant for me in the grand scheme of things, but that's the only reason why I need to grow outside of it. But that's where my biggest talent is. That is what my biggest capacity to offer to our science and the progression is like I should have excelled in it I just can't and that's okay and that's acceptable but I'm moving in a space where I can be accepted it all has to do with your decision and your desire so when I go back to my girl Ashley and I'm like yo how did you make this career your dream It's literally in every decision she's made in her career. She's decided. I think being a faculty member is where it's at. My school has accommodated me. My world has accommodated me. I'm able to still stay employed while I'm sitting here on the CPAP machine. Oh, wow. You know, I have had a lot of pulmonary issues. And my school said, that's okay. That's okay. That's amazing. That really is amazing. It is amazing that she's still been able to stay on the faculty. And um, that's, that's really awesome. She's beautifully supported. Yes. And that is deserved of someone that gives in to this career fully because we do everything for it. So it's deserved that we are taken care of when things outside of our control happen to us, which is her circumstance. And when you have an employer that's willing to take care of you like that, that that's a job worth holding on to. Absolutely. As taught to us by Brad the Legend. Yes, an employer who values you and thinks of you as more than just a number that that really is that's that's like finding the needle in the haystack you think so i mean from my experience Mm. i like that during my travel experience i found that moving through one facility versus another 13 weeks at a time kind of freed me to be like i don't give a fuck (laughs) 
I didn't care, actually. Um, I went in, did my job, left. You want 90% productivity? You got 90% productivity because I'm going to tell you from day one, my documentation counts in my 90% productivity. I was very blunt about my life as a traveler, and that's where I found my joy. Well, you know, I mean, the situation that I was in with the job I just resigned from is that, you know, my son is going to be starting at the school in our neighborhood that finally opened last year. I had been asking to go to this school when it opened every single year since I got hired. I had made my intentions about being at that school known every single year since I got hired. I finally got placed at that school at the beginning of this year. And then, you know, my son has some health issues. So I took a leave of absence. I worked the first couple of weeks um, when we were remote. When we went face to face, I wound up having to take a leave of absence to because I was afraid for him. Um, and they hired someone to fill my spot. And they don't have to give you back your same position when you go back. They just have to give you a comparable one, which, I mean, I do understand, but have to and should have or would have or could have are not the same things. And um, they wound up giving the school to the new hire that had been there a few months, even though I've been there for years. And so I resigned Hmm. and they told me, my supervisor told me on the phone, I know that this was, I know that this is what you've been wanting. Mm -hmm. I know that this was your plan. Mm -hmm. I know that you thought you were going to be at the school for the next 10 years while both of your kids went through school there. Mm -hmm. I know that that's what you wanted, but you know, in the end they made the decision that they made and I made the decision that I made They offered me a school that was five minutes away from this school. But to me, that just the fact that you know exactly what my plan is, the fact that you knew the whole time exactly what I wanted, the fact that you acknowledged that in our last phone call and then said, well, we can give you this school that's five minutes away makes me feel like a number and not like Mm -hmm. a person. If you don't know that that's not the same thing, if you don't know that that's, if you think that that's comparable, then you're, you're not really thinking about us as people. You're thinking about us as placeholders Mm. and that's just not where I was. And that's not where I was at. And I mean, you can say whatever you want about if they have, you know, that they don't have to do it. You're right. They don't have to do it, but you also could have hired someone Mm-hmm. knowing full well coming in that they were just going to be covering the school while I was on leave mm-hmm. rather than hiring them and telling them and, and not saying anything and then letting them stay in that position if that's what they wanted. But that's that, that was a choice made by whoever makes those decisions. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I resigned and that's, You know why I'm saying that if you have a place that's going to value you and take care of you and hold your place for you, there's a lot to be said for that because, you know, I was trying to do what was best for my family at the time with the little information that we had, you know, a year ago about what was going on. 
and I wound up losing my 10-year plan. You know, COVID really changed a lot of things for us in the sense of what we originally anticipated and what is actually occurring. Absolutely. I made this idea that life is not fair. It's not fair. Life is not fair. It's not built to be fair. It's just built to be as is. Up to us, we, the people who exist in life, to decide whether we or not we want the best, the most ideal, the most you know, should, would, could of it all and say, I want to exist in that ideal and spend my time in the should, would, could or the possibilities, or I can accept that life is not fair and I can make a decision about what is, which means I need to make a decision that says I am making the best of what is. That is that key moment. That is the key experience. You and I both have moved in an aspect of saying this job is not for us. But how do we make the best of this experience? And and that is what we hope to do here. <laughs> and that's why we're here. And I mean, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to you know, to try this out and to see if we can really, you know, spark some change or help somebody in our field. I think we have no issue in helping people in our field because of the idea that we are making the best of what is by offering Mm -hmm. something that is different. And the same experience is pushed forward by people like Ashley who stands in front of a room and says to a group of students, hi, I want to know why you're doing this. And I want to know what is your motivation to change what has happened? Because in a profession of 98% women, 92% white women or white people, we are not diversified in our thinking. We are not built with autism as a center focus, neurodiversity as a center focus, blackness as a center focus, Caribbean as a center focus, Asians as a center focus. And Asia is huge. It's got Russia. It's got Korea. It's got, it's got so many countries. I'm like, oh, my God, why do we just say Asia like it's small? I mean, it's not <laughs> like it's so, so cohesive. It's not at all. It's not at all small. Like, I mean, I'm looking at India like, yeah, I don't look like anything I've ever seen before. We need to look at this specifically. When I have a patient from Bangladesh, what do I do with a patient from Bangladesh? Like, really? The science is so myopic, it's so self-centered, it's so self-absorbed. And when I look at evidence-based practice, it's about that. It's about what is normative in white America. And that is why I have such a challenging space to operate in. And I want to look at ASHA. I want to look at science. And I want to say, well... 
can I take everything that you've ever taught me and do something amazingly different because I'm educated in it and I have the capacity to understand the foundation and do something different? Am I allowed? Is that okay? If it's not evidence-based, what is my permissi- you know, my per- permission in this? I want to do something new. I want to add more counseling and speech-language pathology because we're all dealing with a traumatic experience. The parents to those children are traumatized because their child is something different. The patients that I have for adults, they're traumatized because they used to see themselves in a certain light and now they're not that. Can I be really good at counseling? Can I get a certificate in counseling? Is it possible for me to get more than what I have because I know more? Like, what's possible? I mean, and I think that's a huge part of our job. I I mean, you know, I remember when I worked in acute care and it's been a while, but, you know, sometimes you go into a patient's room and you do that cognitive eval on them and the family, if they were in the room, would just kind of kind of giggle or, you know, maybe a little awkward laughter if the patient answered something wrong. But so many times you walk into that room and you get the feeling that the family thinks that when that patient goes home, they're just going to be back to normal and that this is just a little blip. Mm -hmm. And they really don't understand like the gravity of the situation or that, you know, this patient really can't go home and take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And we do have to sit down and put like our counseling hat on and kind of talk a little bit about how, you know, this is not safe. You know, this patient can't be home alone or can't go back to cooking or is not going to be able to ride their bike to work. Um, you know, a lot of the times it kind of feels like the families don't always know. And mm-hmm. we do the counseling a lot with our parents in the school system and in private practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Counseling is a huge part of our job, even if we don't necessarily call it that. Absolutely. One thousand percent. This is where I connected with Ashley the most. Because we're all in the experience of we're humans. Why are we coming into the room saying, I'm the professional, you yield to me. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Instead of the idea of, hey, I have all this information, but you're the patient. You're the number one person in the room. Let me center my energy to giving you what it is that you desire, what it is you need, what it is you want, and just do my practice based on that. And that is what I think speech-language pathology should be. And I think a lot of people operate like that. I don't think it's been the majority of the science from the past. And that's why um, a lot of us get into trouble with how ASHA presents itself, how the ASHA leader presents itself, how our science presents itself, because it's really like, I'm the expert in the room. I'm the surgeon. I know everything. And you look at the surgeon and you're like, but how can you know about speech-language pathology when the only thing you've, sci- you've scienced is anatomy? We have scienced function, psychology, sociology, even economy. 
because we understand socioeconomic status. And we've done all these things in our lane. Why do you feel as though that is the most important thing in the room? And I question that every day. Like I always question, you know, what's your interest in understanding what a patient needs so that you can really be a health-centered person? And that's not offered across the board. And I wish it was because my practice reflects that through and through for the 12 years that I've practiced. The only thing I care about is what the patient cares about. And I service that patient and I've never deviated from that lane. No matter what, it's been my 100% center focus. And well, it it has been Ashley's too. And I like that about her, which is why she's my sister from another mister. Woo-woo. I love her. She's great. I think that we're seeing a huge shift in the field where that is really coming into play now that, um, you know, different groups of people, whatever their, you know, diagnosis or, or whatever they're having are really starting to advocate for themselves. And that's starting to trickle into our field now where we're starting to talk about, you know, is teaching social skills appropriate? Is teaching eye contact appropriate? Like how, you know, are teaching pronouns appropriate? You know, we're really starting to look at these topics. So it's going to be really interesting over the next decade, how, we learn to adapt as speech pathologists to this new environment of advocacy. Um, we have to be and sensitive. How, how we learn, girl, girl. <laughs> hello. We have to be sensitive. We have we to do. be humble. We have to look at our patients and think to ourselves, "I am doing this for you." And the only population I'm seeing doing that is the space of the understanding of the disenfranchised. So you can either be part of the disenfranchised with, according to Ash, that's 8%, or you can be empathetic with the disenfranchised, which is the rest of the 92% in whatever percentage that looks like. I don't know what that is. Ultimately, the overall experience is that I know that I need to do better. How that manifests is really based on the actions of people around us. You have been disenfranchised from your heritage, from your background, from your experiences, from your concepts, from your ideals. I have been disenfranchised for those very same experiences, but in a different way. Because I look how I look and I talk how I talk and I think how I think and I experience how I experience. And we're different women. But ultimately, we are here for the science. And I look forward to the changes in the science. And I spend time saying, I want to push the science into something new. And so do you. Yep. And I think that's what makes this profession so important because we're willing to push it forward. We're willing to make a difference. We're willing to adjust to what is. And when I say 
life is unfair. However, it's about making the best of what is. I really mean it. Because we cannot change what happens to us. We're not part of that society. We're part of the idea that making the best of what is, what is currently happening is more important. I don't want to say what should be. I want to say what is and make the best of it. And I'm okay with that. And that's how we make progress is by accepting where we are instead of the idea that we're going to believe in what should be. That's not real. That's a dream. What is, is what is. So I yell it, I think you and I are living in what is and doing our best. And I like that about us. We definitely are living in the what is, <laughs> not the what we expected. Exactly. Not what I expected, but I adjusted to it for 12 years. And now I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm leaving. We are, we are so <laughs> Total 180. Anyway. We've reached the end of this episode, and I want to thank all of you for joining us. I yell it. You want to tell us? Yes, to thank you us? for listening. And um, if you want to contact us, if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, you can email us at miseducatedslp at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the miseducatedslp. Um, you can join our Facebook group, the Miseducated SLP podcast group. And please, if you're listening, if you like what you've heard, please give us a five-star review or is it four stars? I don't know, whatever the most is. Um, rate us, review us, hit like and subscribe, please, wherever you're listening. It really helps us to get the word out. And thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much. <laughs> we definitely appreciate the download the listen, the understanding. We are part of this journey with you. I, I should you not. And we are going to do our best to continue to dialogue about it. I know I am. And I know I yell it's part of that journey. And eventually we will introduce our additional support in this experience. Um, she knows who she is and she's going to come aboard um, during the time that I'm not available. But yeah, this journey is a network and I'm here for it. So thank you all for listening and have a good night. Have a good night or a good day whenever you're listening. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because, you know, we record at night, as you know. <laughs> yeah, well, the only time my kids are not making noise is when they're sleeping. <laughs> so welcome to midnight, guys. That's where we are. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Good night. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.